Hello and welcome to the e-commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris. So glad you've joined me once again for another episode. I am going to follow up on the last show that I did tell you all about why 4x400 is trimming everything down to bamboo worth. I told you about that on macro level. We talked about aggregator madness last time. And this time I'm going to tell you all about the specifics of our decision to go to Bamboo Earth as opposed to our other brands. And a quick note on the front end of this, you may have noticed that, or you may have seen that I am actually no longer the CEO of 4x400, and that is true. I'm gonna talk more about that in maybe a little bit in this episode, but especially in a future episode. As always, we're committed to telling you what's going on in real time. I'm committed to telling you what's going on in real time as honestly as I possibly can. And for that reason, I'm going to get into that at some point here. But today, what I want to talk about actually is first the decision that precipitated that, which is why Bamboo Earth? What is it about that business? I think there's a lot you can learn about your brands and about how to think well about what makes a great brand and how to move towards that by thinking through, thinking along with us about what is making us so excited about Bamboo Earth and as we move the other ones. Here's a preview. It's not because we think the other brands are bad. So uh, I'm gonna just jump into all of that stuff in just a second, hang in. This journey is wild, we're in a crazy spot. Come along with me. In the last episode, I talked about big picture, what I've called aggregator madness. If you didn't listen to that episode, you should listen to that before you listen to this one. It'll give you context to this conversation in a way that will probably really help. But it's an important a part of it. And because of that, I, I want to talk more, not just about our decision to trim down and focus on one brand, but specifically our decision in the midst of our portfolio right now with four brands and, and really three that we're really investing in, why we are choosing Bamboo Earth as opposed to uh, slick products and modern fuel. And it's helpful to level set why that is the case. First, by just giving you some numbers, Bamboo Earth will do about 5 million in revenue this year. Slick about six, maybe, maybe we'll do five and a half, uh, something like that. And uh, modern fuel will do about 1.7. But modern fuel in the uh, trailing 12 months before we acquired it in October of 2020, so just a little over a year ago, did about 240K. So 1.7 million this year on a trailing 12 months of about say 240K before we acquired it. I would look at that and say, that is a really good forward movement for that brand. There's a lot of signs. And again, with Slick is, is gonna be at a around 6 million multi-channel, a significant portion of that is on Amazon, which matters a lot, about a million bucks on Amazon. There's a growing wholesale business there, which I'm gonna talk all about more of this in a second, but it's just worth noting what it is about those businesses that we would say, as there's a lot to like about both of them, why do we still think Bamboo Earth is an outsized opportunity? Because it's really important to recognize that off the front. Um, and this is actually part of what makes these decisions hard. I'll just say that before going in. If, if I just tell you I've got three brands and one of them's at five and a half, one of them's at six, one of them's at 1.7, but shows a really fast growth rate. Uh, what that uh, frames up is something that we experienced in real time, which was this constant back and forth about what do we have here? Trying to, it's you're playing poker and you're looking at your cards and you're going, what do I really have? Like, how good is this hand? Of course, that's maybe not a great analogy because if you're a good poker player, the answer to that question statistically to some degree. And I suppose what we're trying to do is bring that kind of thinking to this problem in front of us, but it's just not that clear. There's so many factors. And if you're like me and you love solving problems and you have a sort of a, even an entrepreneurial drive on some of this stuff where 
you want to go figure out what's alien and you can always see just around the corner how you're going to solve the next problem. It's really hard to cut bait on stuff that has a lot to like about it. So this is the kind of decision that's hard. So much of great leadership in a company is about, and the book, the really great book, The Outsiders hits this really well, is about this question of capital allocation. Essentially, being able to analyze uh, the market and what you have in your business and put all that together and the book, The Outsiders, does this for large public companies, but it's the same principle and say, what is the best use of my investment? Where am I going to get the best return? And that question, the answer to that question is actually the thing that will determine your success the most. How do I allocate capital, including time? Because you pay for time, right? How do I allocate capital and where am I going to get the best? Return? It's not about bad return versus good return. It's about good return versus best return. Let me start by talking about what makes Bamboo Earth so good. I think it's probably the best order to do this in, what we like about it so much, because it will help you to understand more of this decision. It starts with the question of margin. Bamboo Earth, if you don't know, is our skincare brand, and, and the margin is awesome. So just bottom line, at the end of the day, like that, that is number one, and this is one of the reasons why people start skincare brands. You are looking at blended margin, depending on how you slice up the costs, of like 80 points, maybe maybe 75. Yeah, again, there's a kind of a couple ways to slice this, but but landed, blended to the customer, somewhere around that. And if you and there's a lot of ways where you could actually make that a lot better very quickly. And and I don't know that easily is the right word, but there's a lot you can do to keep making that better. So you just start off with this massive advantage because the gross margin is very good. And that's landed. That's landed margin. And and that actually doesn't tell the whole story of what makes it so good beyond. So number one is margin and margin is a cheat code in business. And people, I think, do not realize just how much of an advantage they have if they can get good margin out of a brand. Uh, uh, well, people, what I should say is people who have that margin probably do realize it. People who don't have it don't understand what they're missing. And I think the broad principle here of four quarter accounting, where you think about 25% of your cost, 25 trying to build a business so that 25% um, of your costs on your, uh, uh, of 25% of your revenue goes to essentially cost of delivery, like cost of revenue that, uh, excuse me, cost of revenue specifically, right? So the, the fixed costs, or excuse me, the variable costs that go into actually getting a product to the customer. That's your, your gross margin, including your packaging. That's your, um, cost of fulfillment, like getting it to a customer's door, which is a huge part of it. That's actually part of why Bamboo Earth has very good margin, but not amazing margin is because there's still jars and bottles of stuff to ship around. So it's not incredibly light products to ship. At least half of our costs are, are, are probably uh, in shipping ultimately in fulfillment. Okay. And so that includes your 3PL and, and it should probably include something like your Shopify fees or whatever stuff that's variable that it goes with every single order. That's all part of your cost of revenue. If you can get that number down to 25% or less, you're in very good shape. And that should be the sort of gold standard metric that you're aiming at where you're going, how do I get it to there? Okay, would be OPEX. If you can get your OPEX down to 25% or less of your revenue, you can be in really good shape. That should include, again, everything that goes into OPEX, right? That's your software, it's your payroll, it's your, it's your any facilities, your rent, any of that kind of stuff. All of that should go under OPEX. Number three, should be if you can get down to 25% or less of your revenue going to advertising, right? So if you can be living at a four to one MER or better, then you can be in really good shape. Now, if you do that, if you've got cost of revenue, advertising and marketing and OPEX, each of those at 25% of your costs, that only leaves one more quarter of, of four quarters 
and that fourth quarter is profit. If you can do that, if you can get those all down to 25%, your profit can get really good. Now, your business may actually lend better to having your marketing cost be way lower, but your margin be higher and blah, blah, blah. There's a few ways to slice this depending on your distribution method and all that. But for D2C brands, broadly speaking, that would be a place to start, a heuristic through which to analyze your business. And I think in some way or another, if you can go aim at those things, you're in good shape. So Bamboo Earth starts off with sort of a check mark on margin because you can get to 25% or less of your cost going to cost of revenue, okay? But there is another advantage to that that is significant. And this is an outstanding feature of this business. And that is because a significant portion of that cost, that cost of revenue is actually things like fulfillment and uh, shipping, right? To the customer, the actual gross margin on just the pure product itself is like the, the, the raw cogs, cost of goods sold. That is actually even lower. And, on, and a number of our products, especially is 90 plus points of margin. So you're sitting at this number. Now, the reason that's so significant is not only because it allows you to think about how do I sell more of those products? Like it's capital allocation question, right? Like how do I make it so that my highest margin products are the ones that I'm promoting the most aggressively? Okay. But which is something you should be thinking about. If you have high margin products, put them at the top of your collection page. If people like them at all, right? Try to get those in people's hands, feature them in your emails, all those things that will help your margin by selling more higher margin products. So you start there with Bamboo Earth, where you have some real, real winners in that respect. But second, you also have to outlay very little cash for that. Because when you talk about fulfillment costs, you're typically paying those after a customer has ordered on a cash conversion cycle. Not typically, you're always paying those after a customer has ordered. A lot of times, if you're working with a 3PL, they're billing you on 30-day cycles, and you actually essentially have net terms on the fulfillment of your orders, right? And therefore, you're paying those after you've received cash from the customer. So the actual inventory outlay for your cash is so low for this brand because the margin, the cogs are so low. Um, the actual raw materials are so low. And that means there's a massive cash advantage in it. You simply don't have to tie up tons and tons of cash for inventory, okay? So that's a huge element of what makes the margin so good. You could actually imagine a brand where that was a little bit flipped, where it was a small enough thing that was ex more expensive to produce, but pretty cheap to ship. And if that's the case, it's actually less advantageous, very likely, than, than having cheap cogs and it's and it costs a little bit to fulfill it because of that cash conversion cycle issue when you realize that cash, okay? So margin, number one, number two, cash. Number three, along the lines of the um, supply chain still, we're still on that side of the business, um, is that we own the production, we're vertically integrated. So we produce all of our products in Havelock, North Carolina, there's a team there. We buy raw materials from farms and we and from other suppliers, and then we produce it ourselves. And the reason that's significant is that it de-risks inventory forecasting and demand planning in a significant way because as long as you have enough raw materials, and as I just told you, the raw materials are a very small percentage of the overall cost of revenue. So it's not expensive to stock up on inventory for Bamboo Earth. It's not, okay? Now, these, this inventory can expire, so you have to be able to move it at some reasonable pace, okay? Because it, it's raw materials from farms and such, it's plants. But, but you can stock up on inventory without worrying it. Now, without worrying too much. Now, what everybody has experienced at some point who is a young-ish or is in a new phase of growth for a brand in D2C is that it's very hard to forecast. It's very hard to forecast the growth of your brand. And sometimes what will happen is a product will hit in a way that you did not expect, 
or an ad will hit. This is really what happens a lot of times is at the ad level. Somebody makes an ad. Let's say we've been running our ads for a long time and we're sending people through our skin and we're we're advertising our intense hydration cactus concentrate and the usual stuff that we do that are some of our best products that we like the most and it's, it's going good in that respect. But then somebody looks and says, what our repairing facial serum is really high margin. Why don't we try to acquire customers with that product as well? Because that would have a big cash advantage for us. Then the team goes and they put together an ad and out of nowhere, a new ad pops. It, it's, it just hits. You get a piece of UGC that really resonates or whatever it is. If you have been around D2C, one of the problems with that, the problem is you have an ad that pops, but then you're sitting there not scaling it as much as you want to because you can't fulfill the inventory. And that's a real problem. You can't fulfill the orders because you don't have the inventory. So this comes back to why um, owning the production matters. Because in our case, it would take us like a couple weeks max to go and we could shift our production timeline around and say, oh my gosh, we're selling a lot of repairing facial serum all of a sudden. Why don't we just shift our production timeline around and say, let's move repairing facial serum up and we'll push cactus concentrate back down. And now we can restock on this product that's now eating up a larger percentage of our total sales. Um, so that's a huge advantage. It's a huge advantage because it makes you more agile and it makes you more able to test quickly. I've actually seen at least one large brand that did this at scale where they could, they would constantly be testing products for their customers and they could they had it built so that within seven to 10 days of a product hitting, basically, as they're constantly releasing and testing new products, this is a nine-figure brand, so they have this massive operation. But as they're doing that, if a product hit, they could then produce it at scale within seven to 10 days. And they consider that their actual advantage, their main advantage in the marketplace that they were in, uh, was the ability to rapidly release and test and then scale products when they hit. So owning the production really matters. It also means we don't pay a markup, by the way, on production like you would of the traditional manufacturer, which keeps our, which keeps our cost of production low. Okay. So again, on the cost of revenue side, that's good for us as well, because now we don't have to pay somebody else to produce the product. To that point, there were actually dreams at some point of starting our own farms and really vertically integrating, which would be a whole other challenge. Not today, but who knows, maybe someday. Okay. Number four, along the lines still here of supply chain and gross margin is that the supply chain is domestic. Bamboo Earth is buying stuff from farms. And because Bamboo Earth is buying from uh, U.S. farms, all American produced, it has just been totally immune to the supply chain issues that are facing the world right now around shipping and Chinese manufacturing and all those kinds of things. So again, it just de-risks the supply chain significantly. So that's a really big deal. Now, the reason what I want to point out here is that I have said all of that before I've said a single thing about marketing or Facebook ads or customer acquisitions. I guess I said a little bit about Facebook ads. Um, but that was secondary. Like the, the big point here is that before you get to any of that, a major part of what makes Bamboo Earth such a good business is the supply chain and the cost of revenue side of things. That immediately gives it this massive advantage. If you are picking a business to invest in, to a business to start, if you are if you're doing anything like that, um, this is a huge thing to think about that I think a lot of people on the growth and marketing and entrepreneurship side of things don't really realize. But if you can really go hammer away at this element of your business, you can create a massive advantage. I, it's like, it's a, I always say it's a cheat code. Uh, it's a cheat code in the marketplace of something like Facebook ads or whatever else, because now you have this um, anti-fragility to it. And what you may hear also is a reflection of a lot of stuff that Taylor Holiday and I talked about a number of episodes back. You can go find it and maybe we'll get it in the show notes here. The, the anti-fragile scorecard idea, the idea of building this business to be anti-fragile. Okay. 
So there's that. Now, there is another massive advantage here as well, which is that, and this is more on the marketing side, which is that Bamboo Earth, and you've heard me say this before if you've listened for a while, retains customers at a 90th plus percentile level. The LTV on this product is really good, okay? So this is the fifth thing, and this moves us into a new category. Customers come back at an extraordinary rate. Within 60 days of purchase, of, of first purchase, customers um, are worth about, depending on a couple things, 50% more than they paid on their first purchase. So the value of a customer, if they spent $100 on their first purchase, they're spending another 50 on average within the first 60 days of acquiring customers. And that matters a lot on all kinds of levels, especially if you think back to that four-corner accounting principle, the way that you are going to generate profit in most of these D2C businesses, especially before you go true multi-channel, is by shrinking the percentage of your spend that is, or shrinking the percentage of your revenue that you're spending in advertising, okay? So over time, and this is a classic almost VC model of thinking about this, over time, the customers that you acquire become worth so much that even if you hold your customer acquisition flat, you have this returning customer pile that's of revenue that's growing year over year. In point of fact, in 2020, Bamboo Earth did about 2 million in new customer revenue, and it did about 2 million in returning customer revenue. This year, it will do about 2 million, a little less in new customer revenue, and it will do about 3.5 million in returning customer revenue. And what that shows you is that those new customers that we're acquiring are becoming worth more over time. And if you play that out in the long run, and that's, I mentioned the 60-day LTV, but it customers more than double in, uh, in most cases in the course of a year. And as we learn more and more about what kinds of customers are worth the most, we can target them more effectively, work on other things to keep building into that and go from there. And what's more, that most of that has happened before we got serious about product development. So this is just customers who like the who love our skincare products. Big credit here to Amber Hawthorne, the founder of the brand who, who formulated these products. They work great. People love them. Once they have taken our skin quiz, gotten a custom recommendation, tried out, the, tried out our products, they come back. They buy more of them because they love the products and they can feel good about it because of all the ethical sourcing and the clean ingredients and all those kinds of things as well. And that is at the center of this brand that creates LTV. And it means that if you project this out, and believe me, we've done it, even with a very conservative customer acquisition projection and forecast, the brand keeps growing in revenue. And over time, of course, what happens is let's say uh, last year, I don't remember these exact numbers, but let's say last year we spent uh, a million and a half bucks to get $2 million in new customer revenue. If we spent that same million and a half bucks to get this year's $2 million in customer revenue, but I told you the returning customer revenue grew a bunch, well, that million and a half dollars in spent became a smaller percentage of my total revenue. And over time, go back to my four quarter accounting thing, that means the, the, percentage of revenue that I have allocated to marketing and to advertising decreases and decreases, which means the fourth increases and increases, which is profit. And that's how you can end up with perhaps a monster of a business here, because now you've got not only supply chain favorabilities as you grow, as scale creates all kinds of supply chain favorabilities, it usually does, but you've also got this built-in ability to make it so that your marketing, your uh, advertising becomes a lower and lower percentage of your total and you can create a lot of profit. That LTV is just a massive advantage. Again, that was before we got serious about product development too, before we've really gotten serious about subscription revenue. It's before we've gotten serious about wholesale on Amazon, all of which should help that number get even better all the time. So those are, um, so that's a massive deal to make this brand work. So now you've got a great supply chain, all of these elements of it, and you've got highly valuable customers. And I'm gonna give you a sixth thing here that's a little bit harder to quantify. 
But in a very crowded space, I believe the Bamboo Earth brand is a significant um, differentiator. Again, this comes straight from the founder, Amber Hawthorne. But Amber built into this brand a care and love for women that is real. And you can feel, especially when Bamboo Earth is at its best. And I actually think this is another argument in favor of focusing on it. When you put our best minds on our team towards communicating this message of you are beautiful, not because of whether or not your acne is cleared up today or <laughs> your weight or whatever arbitrary beauty standard the world puts on, but you're beautiful because you're created and designed by a creator, which is really at the core of what Amber believes and what, and, and you have inherent value as a human. This is a uh, core to who Amber is and what she believes and it's in the brand. I believe that there is magic in that in a way that actually allows it to say something interesting in the world in, in a very crowded category and also attracts deep loyalty to the brand. And there's a number of ways we've executed that, but I, it's very hard for me to quantify this, but I believe the simplest thing is to say, this is part of why the LTV is good. I'm not, I'm, I, like, I recognize that you can probably get really good LTV in other brands. You probably can, right? In other skincare brands. There are probably other skincare products that work pretty well. There's other clean skincare. I believe that you get 90th, 95th plus percentile LTV by not only having great products, but also by having a brand that really resonates deeply with people. And that's what we're talking about. We have visibility to this data compared against 200 and some odd brands that, that I have access to see against LTV numbers. Bamboo Earth, even anonymizing the other brands, Bamboo Earth at times is the number one brand compared to those brands. We see that through Common Thread Collective's data. Okay, So we know from our connection to Common Thread Collective that it is at points like literally the top on a list of over 200 brands in terms of LTV. Uh, on a 60-day window at least, okay? I think the brand is a part of that. So that's another element that we think is important. This brand has something to say, and that matters, okay? And now let me give you one other argument in favor of Bamboo Earth and in favor of focusing on it. There is still so much. There is still so much to do. We have barely efforted subscriptions, and that's like a 50 grand a month business, 45, 50 grand a month. We've really barely efforted that. We can be better about turning customer data into great marketing because our skin quiz tells us all kinds of things about who our customers are and all kinds of a range of stuff from what they're stressed about to what their skin conditions are to their age to all kinds of things like that. And turning that, whether or not they think they're beautiful, we, we, we ask them that question. We have all of this information and there's all kinds of ways in which we could turn that into great, meaningful moments with our customers. And not just as a marketing play, but because we care about them to really execute the communication of that care uh, for them. Our customer acquisition needs work. I made some big mistakes there. And I was talking to Dave Recook, our, our VP of marketing, about, about some of the stuff he's doing. And he's immediately cleaning some stuff up there that I think are really good. We could consider partnerships with all kinds of, with all kinds of people, in, including more brand ambassadors, micro-influencers, more macro-influencers. I think there's some influencers who'd be really interested in working with Bamboo Earth who share some of the values in, in real ways and building that up. Partnerships with brands, partnerships, sampling partnerships where you send samples back and forth with brands. There's a lot of stuff you could do like that. And Bamboo Earth has barely scratched the surface of international advertising. So that matters a lot too. So uh, that's part of it. So there's all kinds of stuff just on the D2C business that a focused team by spending all their time on this one thing could keep doing. And I believe that by focusing in that one place, you've got a multiplying value of everything you do. Let me show you what I mean. Let's say this team focuses on, let's just say they pick two of the things that I just suggested, subscriptions and customer acquisition. You can see this very clearly. Let's say you crack the nut of customer acquisition with a high LTV brand, and then you layer on top of that growing subscriptions. 
Now, not only did your customer acquisition get better and more efficient and faster, and you're already going to get high LTV, but the, the value of that is going to multiply even more because if you can turn those um, customers into subscribers, we know that's going to help your LTV even more. And both of them are going to make it so that each does better. So the focus can really matter. And this is something I broadly believe, and I touched on it last episode, but I kind of wonder if splitting focus between multiple brands actually means that each brand gets less than the raw split. What I mean is, let's say I have 100% of my attention to give, okay? 100% of my work brain to give to brands, okay? I can give that to one brand or two brands or three brands or whatever. What I believe right now is that if I, as a marketer, give that attention, 100% of it, if I try to give it 50-50 to two different brands, both of those brands will actually get closer to 40-40 in terms of the value of it. There's a diminishing return in a weird, in a weird way on splitting that, okay? That's not the way people use the phrase diminishing returns usually, but I, I hope you see what I'm saying, okay? That each of those 50% splits are less valuable. What I also believe is that there isn't a diminishing return on focusing on one brand with such a strong genetic makeup, okay? That if I give 100% of my attention to Bamboo Earth, it'll actually get 110% of the value uh, because all of these things have these multiplying effects on top of each other. So uh, there's this an argument for focus. I talked to an entrepreneur the other day who... Um, was telling me that they had this exact thing. They were they had this skew set that was like these two very different kinds of skews and they couldn't figure out how one related to the other and they were back and forth and playing with their marketing. They're putzing along and they got to a million bucks and they felt okay, but they just felt like there was some magic in the brand they weren't able to. They got really good at saying, we're not going to do any, we're going to pick of our skew set, we're going to pick these 20 or 25 skews and they had a you know decent size skew set, maybe 100, 150. They said, we're going to, we're going to take 20 or 25 of these SKUs and we're going to focus completely on them as best as we can, make it the center of our marketing. Everything else is going to be secondary to that. And we're going to focus on our funnel. We're going to make it so that every customer we reach out to has an amazing experience in these places. And we're not going to pick up, we're not going to go chase down anything that is not going to help in a clear way with these core SKUs through these core funnels. And we're just going to make hammer away and make this as good as possible. And they are, and they went from a million bucks to 30 in revenue over, over the course of a few years. And they, they attribute a lot of that success to focusing on the most important problems and really nailing those. Okay. So there's that. So focusing on D2C, I think could really help. Another thing that there's still to do for Bamboo Worth is product. Bamboo Worth customers for a long time have been asking, for example, a, a sunscreen, a clean sunscreen. I think that product would smash with that audience. What about other self-care products like shampoos? We have a dry shampoo, but it's a secondary thing. It's low margin. Like we don't even like it that much. What about other soaps and all these elements of what Bamboo Earth could layer on? What about a men's brand? There's a, all kinds of potential stuff with this brand. And that's to say nothing of other just like pure skincare products, which we've started to release in the last few months. So I think product development, there's all kinds of stuff you could do there. And we... Bamboo Earth has barely touched Amazon, got really listed a small, like five or six products on Amazon over the last few months. And, and that's growing and it's, and it's a nice little bit of revenue right now, but it's still a really small percentage of things and, and could use some more attention. Okay. And wholesale is another element of this business that I think could be huge that uh, again, whether it's boutique spas or whether it's larger retailers, there's this whole element of it that Bamboo is really, I think we've taken three wholesale orders ever. Like it is really almost nothing. We're on fair now and we're starting to play with that. But there's, uh, but the point is you've got this genetic, you got these genetic elements of the brands, DNA makeup of what makes this brand good and anti-fragile. And now there's a lot of stuff you can see still in front of you that you can do. 
And that's really the point. And at the core, we look at that and say, with these raw elements and with these things to do still in front of us, man, what happens if we focus there? That's an outsized opportunity relative to our others. Now, I want to quickly tell you that there's a lot to love about these other brands. So Modern Fuel, like I said, has a lot of really good elements of it. it. Before we acquired it, it was, like I said, about 240K in revenue, trailing 12 months over the last year, which is, this is not quite an exact fair comparison, but it's close. It was at, it's at 1.7 million in revenue. And that's probably against $500,000 in ad spend, something like that, maybe a little more. And there's real growth, real revenue growth happening at an early stage of the business. Um, it's, there are some cash challenges in the early stages for it because of a couple things, but it's not overwhelming. It's not a huge problem. And there is decent margin in the business landed at about 65 uh, points right now. And you can see a very clear pathway to getting that number up by with continuing manufacturing, particularly at scale. The, the hardest part of modern fuel and margin wise is the earliest release of its new products so far. Because they are because they are engineered carefully and seriously, there are off of some of the like kickstarted products, the first bunch of orders, sometimes customers have found so far that they've needed to send pieces back, have some things fixed or whatever it is. And there's a manufacturing process that has just been inherent so far to this brand that we think over time could be smoothed out. Those replacements and returns and even kickstarting different products where you're offering people significant discounts by acting early, all of those things chip away at the margins. But that's all really solvable. And especially as the customer list grows and grows, you don't need to kickstart stuff anymore at some point, right? You just release products, sell them at full price or close to it, or maybe a smaller discount and, and even continue to dial in your manufacturing with each new product. And you can pretty quickly imagine getting to a new spot there. So it's early and it has a lot of the problems that early brands have, but there's some baseline core stuff there that we like a lot. Andy is another element of what modern makes modern feel great. The founder, Andy Sanderson, is a really brilliant engineer who has clear and awesome vision for product creation. And if this brand is going to keep growing and it's going to be profitable, it needs to create LTV. And the way this brand creates LTV will be a little bit of people buying a pen and coming back for a pencil and buying a pencil and coming back for a pen. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that as a, as a real element of the brand. But even more, what it will need to do is keep releasing products. It will need to get really good at releasing products regularly. And that can be a mix of things like our Legends collection that we launched, which was a variation of an existing product on the one hand, or net new products like the, the bolt action mechanical pencil, which is the first pencil of its kind in the world. And it's probably got to get beyond pens and pencils, but there's some obvious stuff here. We have designs on a fountain pen and all kinds, there's notebook ideas and things that make it a little more giftable and all of that. So you look at that and you say, okay, you've got a guy in Andy, the founder who's motivated and an awesome guy who can be the head of doing the one thing this brand needs to do most to keep growing which is develop products. So that is there. So that's a huge element. In fact, if I was going to buy Modern Fuel, which it is going to be for sale here, and if you're interested in it, do not do it without getting Andy with it, unless you have some product designer on hand that you think is amazing. But that would be surprising. Make sure that you've got Andy in and incentivize him. He is an awesome dude who's additive to any team that he's on, and he's a brilliant engineer and product. So that's core to the brand. Another thing here is the product quality itself for Modern Fuel is through the roof. People, people love this product. It's interesting. We've um, seeded quite a bit of product in the pen and pencil space, in the everyday carry space where it's niche, super enthusiasts. And the reviews on this product all come back the same. People who are looking at tons of pens, looking at tons of pencils, they all say the same thing. This thing is awesome. It stands up. It's expensive relative to the market, but it stands up 
at or better than all of them in a way that they really love. And that's why we back it with a 100-year guarantee and all that kind of stuff. It is true heirloom quality stuff. And for the person who loves this category, they have, whoever gets this brand will not be <laughs> drop shipping something or like selling something that somebody's buying from Alibaba or whatever. This is a beautiful, seriously different and distinct product that people absolutely love and enjoy. Again, the supply chain on this brand is domestic. So we like that a lot too. Um, and the pathway, mostly domestic, excuse me, it's not all domestic, but it's not made in China. And there's some stuff in Japan and Germany and those sorts of things, but but that's like a little bit more of a boutique, a category specific element. There's some terms that are really good with some of our manufacturers that allow people that where they're storing uh, raw materials, but not charging us for it until after they've made the product. That's a, a beautiful thing uh, for this brand. And then the growth pathway is really clear here. It is how much can you develop products and how fast can you release them? That's really simple. Again, there's another brand also where wholesale could become a big part of it. These are, there are real issues to solve in terms of dialing in those operational processes, getting that margin up to 70 plus points, all of those kinds of things. And this is part of the deal here. These are real problems to solve. And therefore, somebody should buy this brand, build focus into them, and then go do it. But you have, again, a, a brand that people like that's actually uh, growing at a really fast pace. The customer acquisition works. People like the product. There's probably a bunch more room still for a great Facebook advertiser to keep playing with new angles and offers and all those kinds of things. We haven't had it for long enough to have exhausted that. And there's a lot there. So a uh, really good brand there. Now, it does. It, listen, we don't think it is, has the upside, at least in our hands, as Bamboo Earth does. But we think it's a really good brand. And lastly, Slick Products. Now, Slick, I'm going to just read to you why in pure numbers, this brand makes a lot of sense for somebody to go and buy and, and be excited about the future, especially if they have the right way to grow it. Okay, so we have been working on this brand for a longer time. And in 2017, it did $250,000 in revenue. 2018, it did 1.2. 2019, 1.8. 2020, we got the COVID bump, 4.4. This year, 5.6. So a consistent, steady growth curve with MER at start. Back in the early days, like closer to three. Now it's up to three and a half and it's grown incrementally. Every single customer acquisition just works on this brand and, and consistently runs at a two to one plus and at increasing scale every year. If you break down those same numbers that I just gave you, but you break them out for first time customers versus returning customers, let me read those to you again. First time customer revenue from, set, from 2017 through 2021, 219K, 956K, 1.4 million, 3 million, 3.4 million. So you can hear new customer revenue growing over time as we've been able to scale ads, create real brand awareness in the space of, um, of, off, of the off-road space. One thing to know here is that the uh, UTV market in particular is massively exploding in America. There are now more UTVs sold than motorcycles, I believe, just sold across the US. It is a, a beloved toy for off-road families. People will buy it and they will spend all kinds of time, as much as they can, going off-road in these UTVs. So Slick has positioned itself as the wash product for off-road vehicles, not only dirt bikes, but also ATV, UTV. And we have a post-purchase survey with Inquire that says 50% of the customers who buy from us are buying for ATVs and UTVs. So we know that's a major portion, that growing category is a major portion of our sales. And I think that partly explains why not only investing in that market in the long term, really positioning ourselves, not just as a cleaning and wash product, but as a wash product in a particular space, an off-road wash product. In fact, the off-road wash product, that this is the way to care for your off-road toys. 
has allowed Slick to continue to grow in notoriety and a new customer um, acquisition over time, which means we've grown our spend over time and we've done that at or at the same or better efficiency over time. That's been really cool to see. Okay. On top of that, let me read you our returning customer revenue year over year, 2017 through 21, 26K in 2017, 2018, 120K, then 226K, then 70, 755, and then this year, 1.3 million. Slick does not have great LTV. It doesn't. It has solid LTV realized over a long period of time. The product lasts a while. We haven't invested seriously in subscription. There's a lot of elements of why we don't think the LTV is blow the doors off. But very clearly over time, as the brand has grown, there is a straight line up and to the right on returning customer revenue. Now, it's not up and to the right <laughs> at a, the steepest angle in the history of the world. But again, you're looking at increasing points, doubling, tripling in this year, more nearly doubling the, the, the returning customer revenue year over year. So you play that out if you're acquiring this business over a five-year timeline. And what you're going to see is continuing growth in returning customer revenue as long as you can keep that new customer revenue decent. Now, um, now that will create profitability over time. And that works against, that is important because one of the hardest things about this business is that um, shipping heavy bottles of liquid, you've heard me say this, all over the country is really tough. And it is produced in China, uh, not the formulas, but one of our core products, our foam cannon, is produced in China and is challenging to manage cash-wise. So that element of the business creates a little bit of a cash challenge. You have to order well in advance and outlay some cash or some inventory. Now, for the right buyer, that's not a big deal, but but that is a challenge to get past. And, and therefore, for the right person, again, this can be a really good brand. And here's the other element of it. It has, of all of our brands, the most multi-chain revenue diversity. It's our first brand that's ever done over a million dollars on Amazon. It's going to do, I, I said around a million earlier, I, I pulled the number. It's 1.3 million this year. It'll do. That's growing fast. So in 2019, 350. In 2020, 880. And then this year, 1.3 million. So that's a huge portion of what's going on in this business to get it to, to, get it to, to be a really profitable and important channel. And uh, Amazon customers, we have every reason to believe, are more loyal. They come back and you get more and more uh, returning customer revenue over that. You've got a nice Amazon ad account built there. So you're not spending a huge amount of money, but you're investing in that channel appropriately. But that's just a really nice channel. Plus, there's actually favorability in shipping costs by shipping FBA with particular individual bottles. So Amazon actually makes a lot of sense for a brand where where shipping costs is a huge problem, particularly on small orders. Okay, so that's really good. There's a serious and growing wholesale business there, where you've got probably about a half a million, I think, in wholesale revenue this year, and that can grow a lot. You've got international distributors who are interested in that brand, and we haven't even tried to open up big doors like Cabela's, Bass Pro, those kinds of places. So that's a real opportunity where, in the off-road space, you can continue to meet those customers. Again, from a margin perspective. This makes a ton of sense because shipping a pallet of slick is much, much cheaper at a sort of per unit basis than shipping individual bottles to customers all over the place. So wholesale as a major element of what this business can do is crucial. It's crucial. And plus, of course, wholesale tends to create uh, LTV if you sell through. So there's a lot of elements of this business that are right there as well with real diversity in the revenue and at the same time and a niche space to attack and at the same time, real opportunities to keep developing it. What's more, Slick has, as I said, barely invested in subscription revenue yet, and um, Slick has barely invested in product development. Both of those are elements where I think you could look and say, man, you've got a lot of opportunities still to, to grow that business and do, to do really big things. The reason I say all of that 
is so that you can hear again, to go back to what I said earlier, that these decisions are hard. It's just not that easy to walk away from brands that have these really good elements. Now, Bamboo, again, as we look at this, has outsized upside, and we think in the midst of this has much less risk. And that's an important element of this equation as well. But these are good brands. They're good brands. And that's why we've stuck with them for a long time and have, have been working on them, especially in Silk's case, for a long time, because we keep seeing what's really good about the brand. And that's the challenge of the whole thing. But I, I also lay all of that out so you can hear how we're thinking about each brand one after another to think about what's good, what's bad, what needs fixing, what doesn't. Hopefully, at the same time, that helps you think about your brand as well. So that's the decision for 400. We're looking at Bamboo Earth and saying, this is an outsized opportunity. We're investing in that and going from there. Thanks for listening. Again, more stuff coming on this phase of what's happening at 4 x what's happening for me right now. There are no clear plans about a long-term on this podcast, so stay tuned for that. And if you didn't see, I did put on Twitter a, a note of gratitude as I step away from being the CEO of 4 x 400 as we make this transition as part of it. I'll have a lot more to say about uh, that, as I said before, and I'm going to try and actually give you some reflections on that journey for me personally and some of what I'm thinking about in it and what this process is like and reflections on being a CEO and some of that stuff too. So that stuff's all coming. Also note that if you're interested in buying Modern Fuel or Slick, they are going to go into the market. So probably the easiest thing to do there would be to email josh at 4x400.com. That's josh at 4x400.com. You can get the contact there. And uh, and you can DM me. And I'll, I'll set you up with the right people, no problem, uh, at Andrew J. Ferris on Twitter. It's probably the easiest way to do that. So thanks very much for listening. As always, I hope you'll hang in as we keep talking about what these next steps are. And we'll see how things develop from there. Thanks for listening. We appreciate, as always, a share, a rate, a review, all those things. And I, I do want to also note here, a big thank you to a number of people who said very kind words about this podcast on Twitter when I did announce that I was leaving. Man, a lot of you suggested <laughs> that you really like this show. And to be honest, like there's this element of it that fits into the sort of comfort collective 4 x ecosystem that I guess it's marketing or something for somebody and we can be honest about that. But I also just love doing it. I love talking about this stuff and the fact that it's providing value to you, whatever stage of business you're in, is it, it means a lot. So those of you who have uh, gone out of your way to tell me that, thank you. Thank you very much. I feel a lot of gratitude for that and I appreciate it. So hang in there. We'll see you next week and I hope things are going great with you, your family, your business, everything else. 